Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. Welcome once again, and those that are watching, uh, this is an opportunity to share this message. And if you're on YouTube, invite the friends and loved ones for this time of worship and praise, the word and prayers. Precious ones that are here, welcome, welcome, welcome once again. Uh, They're in-house and taking time to be with us and continue to come. We want to give glory to God and uh, bless you and thank God for every one of you. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we take this moment to give you glory. We've gathered, and unto you shall the gathering of your people be in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, our Lord, our Savior. We're so grateful, Lord, that you have brought us together on this Lord's Day and that we can proclaim that our God is omnipotent, that he, O Lord, is almighty, that we come to proclaim that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father, We have come, O God, to worship you and praise you and adore you and love you. And welcome here, O God, a hungry heart, people in need, and we seek your help, your grace, your blessing. Now, in the name of Jesus, let your word go forth and bring healing to the spirit, soul, and body that you reach out and touch lives. There are people, O God, that are hanging in the balance, that need grace, that need salvation, that need deliverance, that need, O God, a special touch in the areas of their life. No matter where you are right now, those that are watching by television or whatever way that you are watching, and people right here, I want you to bring those needs that you have, your loved ones, the desires of your heart, go ahead and And just take it to the Father right now. We offer the praise and worship to the Father in the name of Jesus. In the midst of ministering, we bring our lives surrendering to the Lord. And won't you allow the Lord to minister to you today as you minister unto Him in worship. In the name of Jesus, touch your people today. Touch them, O God, in the areas of their need. And we speak healing, grace, and mercy. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, God's people said, Amen and Amen and Amen and Amen. Welcome once again. It's such a great joy that we can gather together. We have been going with the study on brokenness in the last couple of weeks, uh, but today I want to speak about the five very important words that minister to us with regard to brokenness. Uh, It's a very powerful word, but I just want us to understand that we've been dealing with the subject and uh, we'll be doing God willing next Sunday, especially at at the time when we would be breaking bread, and it's a tremendous word that would minister to our heart, spirit, soul, and body. We've been doing particularly last Sunday about uh, the stone, and there are two whosoever that you find in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21 and verse 44. As you turn to this passage, the Bible says, Whosoever shall fall on the stone shall be broken, but on whosoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. 
There are two whosoever and two realm with regard to the stone or the rock, and we went into the scriptures from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, alluding to what, would, what was in the Old Testament, talking about Jesus is that rock. But I want to just mention the two sides of the whosoever, one that speaks about willingly want to be broken at the cross, at the stone, and the other one, unwilling and just resist and literally rebel against the Word of God. And those, of course, we find would be ultimately broken as pieces into powder. There are whosoever, and I want you to understand this is not something of a feeling, is not something that is uh, we uh, basically go through life without any knowledge. It's something that we have to choose. It's a choice. And we're talking about the brokenness of our own uh, self, of our own volition that come to the Lord and humble ourselves. And when I talk about what I did in the last time about the stone or the rock, the whosoever, what I mean is the experience of walking with the Lord and the experience of the cross. The cross, I don't mean about the two sticks. That's basically uh, not what I'm talking about. The walking and talking with the Lord and by way of experience of the cross is simply a surrendered life, a life that is giving to God every aspect of our life, including the broken pieces of our life, that he would be able to mend it. We come to that recognition, the stone that is a place, or the cross where we surrender to the Lord, is a place where God picks us up and God begins to mold us and shape us and rebuild us according to as evil. There's a lot of things within us, our own ingenuity, our own flesh, our own self-will. Uh, again, these things contradict the kingdom of God. We're more into the kingdom of man, kingdom of self, the kingdom of the world. We're more conscious about uh, uh, self-consciousness, world consciousness, but very less of God. But what, we, what happens at the cross, we come to a place of brokenness, a place when we surrender to God, a, a place where we say, not my will, but your will be done. It's not to say that we are diminishing our personality. It's only to say that we are giving our life to God that he would totally make us, that he would totally mold us uh, as Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1, that uh, the prophet was able to see for himself what the porter was able to do with the vessel that needed to be molded and broken to become what would be the masterpiece from Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, where all the masterpiece of God as we surrender ourselves to the Lord. When I talk about what would be the whosoever between the stone that are willing to be broken, to be remolded, reshaped, rebuilt, as opposed to the one that resists or that would rebel against the word of God, it is simply uh, the, the walking down Calvary's road and to understand what it is of the experience of the cross. So if you were to take the stone and put the word cross, you get a fuller understanding, particularly when you come into the New Testament. Over and over again, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ become very clear. He speaks about this particular principle in all the Gospels, it's there in the book of Matthew, as well as Luke and John. But I want you to take this passage from the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. 
Listen to what the Lord keeps saying to his disciples. And here he says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It is the process of uh, brokenness. It's the process of taking the cross and denying the self, denying the flesh, denying everything that rebels against God because of the Adamic fall. It is part of our nature, part of our being to really not do what God calls us to do. It is because of our disobedience. It is because of the flesh. It is because of sin. It is because of our self-sufficiency. Everything to do with the self. And if we have to be used of God, if we have to be uh, guided by the presence of God, the first thing he does is to be able to mold us and shape us. But before he does that, there must be a brokenness. So when we take the cross, again, when you turn to the same chapter, Luke chapter 9 and verse 25, he's talking about those that would, uh, what, what is a man advantage if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be a castaway? So the process of taking up the cross is a very important component of a life of a discipleship. There are two types of people that followed the Lord Jesus. One was the followers. They really wanted to be blessed. They wanted to be healed. They wanted uh, the Lord to reach out to them, answer their prayers. And all of this the Lord was doing for them. But then in the process of what would call brokenness, in the process of training, the cross becomes a determining factor where the followers become disciples. Uh, in the case of disciples, I've mentioned before that the Lord takes off the kid gloves and he's really putting them into what would be the boot camp. That is not easy. That would be the wilderness experience that I've been talking about on a Wednesday night, Wednesday evening services. But it's very important we understand the process by which God takes us from just being followers who want to, want to, want uh, to become disciples who really is about surrendering their life to be used of God. That we would recognize it is the cross in which the whosoever was willing to break willingly of their own volition as opposed to those that rebel, those that resist the hand of God, and those that say no. And ultimately, their eternity it will depend so much upon the whosoever who believes. And yet there was those that would literally be broken into pieces in the latter end. We basically are talking about something way beyond to do with our salvation. One of the things that we must realize as we go into life is the process of discipleship is a process that we all desperately need in our life. It is true in the world of animal, in the world of flowers, in the world of everything that we see, whether it be human training, whether it be in terms of disciplines in every other aspects of our life, this process of discipleship is very important to make us. And before we would basically be what we want to be or the process by which we are going through, this aspect of being discipled is very important, whether you want to be a doctor, an artist, or whether you want to be in terms of engineer, whatever field you choose. That training ground is very important. We have our strength. We have so much of potential, but for the potential to be explored, it must be broken in terms of the earth as so much 
And yet it's not outside. It has to be dug. It has to be broken for the finest of the gold to be gotten. And then the gold, which is in a rugged form, has to be processed to become the finest of the finest gold. Or in terms of precious stones or gold or whatever you want to talk about, it is there in the earth, but the earth must be broken up. So too with agriculture and whatever you put into the earth must be dug in and it must be put in and then dug out to be able to sow, uh, to reap what you have sown. In terms of animal, when you realize, when you talk about horses, I mentioned the last time the stallion is powerful, a great creature of strength, beauty, magnificence. In fact, it has got lightning speed, so to speak. And in olden days, that was the the greatest vehicle, whether it be in terms of communication or whether it be in terms of travel or war or whatever. But the horse in and of itself with all its uh, strength will be useless for the individual until and unless it goes through a time of breakings. It's hard, but it's very important for us to understand there are some horses that are wild. They have so much of potential but they're so wild, cannot be used. And if it is used in its wild stage, it would only bring destruction rather than bring any profit or anything that would be of advantage. Then there is those that are totally stubborn and disobedient. It's a process by which that must be turned, and the breaking is hard and difficult to process. For one to see a cowboy try to break in a horse, it looks heartless, but it is necessary for the horse to be used, for the horse to be in its fullest potential and to be discovered. So whether it be in terms of resource or war horse or whether it be used in sports, in whatever means, you simply cannot take a wild horse, a stubborn horse. It has to go through that process of discipleship, of brokenness, of breaking. It is the same in the nature with Dogs, have you seen dogs that are so wild or so disobedient and when the master takes the dog out, it almost looks like the dog is the one leading the master. The dog is the one actually telling what to do, when to stop, what to do. But a trained dog, it doesn't matter how strong or how weak, a dog that is trained is able to go in the way that the master wants. It's a big difference. And the strength is not in its muscle power alone, but how to be able to focus all of that into something very constructive. You know, when you think about the garden world and the agriculture world, I want you to realize something very important. The best of the plants have to be trained. In fact, there's a passage in the book of Genesis in chapter 49 talking about Joseph, and he is a well trained grape wine. That's not running all over the place, but is very focused. But listen, the way in which God brought about Joseph to be one of the greatest men in Egypt, to be what would be the prime minister, and not just about anyone, the finest and the best, and foreseeing the future, making provision for all of the things that he had already sensed. To be able to be a blessing to the world around, not just to his people, but to the Egyptians, that was a training. But the training didn't come from the Egyptian Howard School. It came in through prison.
It came in through breakings with a very difficult situation. A man with great dreams, a man with great aspiration, and then the next moment you find him going through what would be in the hands of his own brother, in the hands of people with he worked with so faithfully, landed him in prison. That's nothing, and that is nothing compared to the promises and compared to the great dreams and vision this young man had. But it is being trained, trained to be able to reign in the place where God wants him to. You know, when you think about flowers and when you think about plants, uh, you think about the nursery, wherein these plants you buy them from. And nursery is the last place you think about pruning, cutting, hacking. A nursery seems to be like a child nursery until you realize that the gardener is not harsh. He wants the best for the plants. And ultimately, as you would choose an animal that is trained, and as you would choose a plant that basically is able to be the finest, these plants, like the animals, have strength. And until it is focused, and until it goes through the dis discipline of the, what would be the pruning, or cutting, or whatever it would take the farmer and the gardener to do the best, it is what comes out not in and of its by itself and by its strength, but the process of being trained, discipled, or literally in the field of what would be agriculture to be fruitful. You know, when it comes to man, you find that Jesus Christ likens us to uh, diamonds, to be gold, to be the finest of the finest. When it comes to process, discipleship, he takes us and he refines us. That is very difficult, whether it be the porter or whether it be going through the fires where gold is refined. But in terms of gardening, in terms of farming, the Lord Jesus Christ described himself in a rather uh, beautiful uh, imagery of a farmer. In fact, he's the wine. And the father is the husbandman, or today's word, word would be a farmer. So if you were to take John chapter 15, verse 1, listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ says. He says, I'm the wine, and my father is the farmer. Now when you look at this passage, you're going to find that he wants us to be the best, and he wants us to be fruitful. But what you find in this passage is uh, the, the difficulty of looking at what the gardener, the farmer, the one that does to help this plant or help us to be fruitful. Pruning is necessary, cutting is necessary, and all of this in the hands of a loving, gracious, merciful, not unmerciful, not hardened. The whole process to bless us, the whole process to be that we would be used of God. So when you turn to John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus is using this very powerful imagery in these words. I am the wine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Not simply the father is the farmer, but he is the vine, and we're attached to him. And everything about us is in relationship to the Lord. 
So I will be talking about the Lord Jesus Christ, the mentor. And if there's anyone that could be the perfect example of brokenness, it is the Lord. I basically went through the passage from Psalm 69, 19, and 20. I went through the passage of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, all the way to verse 5. Everything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. This is very powerful. In this series, I want us to understand that many people would want to bypass what would be discipleship, to bypass what would be the breaking or the brokenness. And very important for us to understand that if we have to be used of God, there must be a sense of discipleship. It is being put whether you are going to be in the medicine field of sports, whether it be in the field of, of engineering, whether it be field of anything, teaching or whatever you would want to do, there must be a sense in which we are being trained, discipleship, channeled, focused into that particular field. So we come with strength, we come with weakness, we come with everything, some and substance of all that, we are in the process of what God made us and also from everything that we have been and have come through our parents. But in the end, all of this strength, weakness must be processed and all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purposes. One of the things we need to realize is when we look to the Lord Jesus Christ and look at his own life, that becomes the abject lesson because he's a model. He's the finest of the finest and the best of the examples. We talked about great men, and this is so important. We did in our studies about some great personalities in the Bible. Everyone was used only after they have been disciplined and goes through the process of pruning and cutting. All of them have gone through hard times, and even in their failures, the choice to be able to be broken before God and, and humble before God was a very defining principle of how they were able to rise even after all of their failures. But I want you to understand, when the Word became flesh, He was pristine, He was just as sinless and perfect as perfect can be. And yet, the Lord Jesus Christ went through the disciplines the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, tells us that he went through all of the training. Uh, he needed to be an example. He did, didn't have to go through that process, but he becomes to us the final, the best example. Have you been to a place where you feel that you alone have experienced that? Let me just remind you, Jesus went through exactly that and much more in the flesh. And I want you to understand that he becomes an example for us. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ brings a very pertinent teaching about fruitfulness through the process of brokenness for our own learning and edification. The world in which we live, this teaching of brokenness is so silent. We live in a world where it's so much to do with prosperity, and I'm not taking that away, but there is a place for that. We live in a world where there's a whole lot of things about how to be the best and the finest. It's all about me and how to be the best me, just like the world has in a worldly way. I'm not discarding that when it comes to the being the finest and the best, but let me just remind you, 
We hear so much about to be healed and then to be used and to be filled and to be a powerhouse. That is basically what we are learning today. And that is basically what would be the church's preoccupation today. Go to a Christian storehouse, a bookshop, and it's almost like what the world would have, how to be the best, how to be the finest. It's almost like God is a waiter waiting to wait for you. What do you want? I'm here to give you. But let me remind you, all of this, as important as it be, can only become fruitful in our life when we understand brokenness. Without which you will not find the fullest healing, the fullest deliverance, the fullest fruitfulness, the fullest of what you are called to be in the sphere of where you are. Somehow we want to discard all the process and simply today it's almost like putting uh, something into the popcorn machine and boom comes Suddenly, I'm a pastor, I'm a, I am an apostle, I am this, I'm that, and all a title without going through the disciplines and the process of what God wants us to. If it were so, the Old Testament would be basically discarded. But they were examples. They become to us lessons for us to learn. And the process by which they were discipled, the process by which they were corrected, the process by which God's hand was upon them for good or for bad, is teaching lessons for us that we would take note and understand God has not changed His method in the New Testament. If anything, it's more. So when you think about this, my friend, I want to be number one. That seems to be the mentality in the Christian world today. I want to be the most powerful person. Uh, and uh, what we look today is who is the greatest? So it's all about name and fame and money and prosperity. Let me just say, these have their place, but not in the Christian world the way as Christ would. We need to realize that a very important component is missing. An engine is missing in this vehicle. I want to realize the early disciples were not really the finest and the best when they began. The Lord used people, and they were the common variety, just like you and me. And if you look at the early beginnings, they had their problems. In fact, they were, who is going to be the chief, the best, the greatest? They had to be disciplined three and a half years. And when you look at the questionings, when you look at the tussle, and look at the de desires of these ones, it almost reminds us, nothing has changed, has it? But they were not the same. The Lord Jesus Christ began the process of discipleship and he took his gloves off. He was not like those with the followers wanting this and wanting that. He was harsh. He was strict. He basically used some hard words. Oh, you of little faith, how long am I going to bear with you? And when you think of this, it that's not the words that he used for the followers. He was ever so gracious, ever reaching out to heal mother-in-laws and uh, daughters and sons and nobleman's uh, servant. He was there for every one of them. He answered their prayers. He was there for all of the needs. But the discipleship was totally different. He took them aside, taught them. In the school of training, learning, and also disciplining. 
You know, the disciples had their own shares of problem, at least in the beginning. Two of them, their greatest desire, and they brought their mom into this because, of course, in some respect, related. So maybe the Lord Jesus in his flesh would listen to his auntie. Who would be the greatest? If you would allow my son, one to sit on your right hand and to sit on the other hand. So is this the biggest desires of your heart? Think with me for a moment. No. These two were the ones who paid the harshest price. One was martyred. The other was the only one that escaped what would be death. And yet, look at his life. Thrown into uh, fiery oil. Banished into Patmos Island. And the very words oozing out of them was love the Lord and love one another. They had gone through the crucibles of fire. They had gone through the training and into what would be discipleship. This is very important. So how did the Lord change these people trying to figure out who's the greatest? Trying to figure out what about them, their own problems. We have left our fathers and we have left our houses what is there for us? And some words of the Lord Jesus were very hard. And yet when you go into the study, it is such a tremendous blessing. This is the course or the school of discipleship. We're missing that today. We wanted the easy way. We want all of the above. But in the end, if you categorize most Christians today, they're simply followers. I want this, I want that, I want that. But the discipleship were those who surrendered and who give themselves to the Lord. When I say surrender, it's a very harsh word. The word surrender would almost feel like you are saying, quit, give up. There are two different words. Surrender is simply your own volition. To simply say, I want to do what you want me to do. I want to say yes to you. I want to say yes to your call upon my life. A surrender is willingly what a soldier would do. Lift up his hands and say, I surrender all. The one who says, give up or quit, is one who says, I'm not concerned. I don't care. I just walk away. That is not surrender. That is walking away from your responsibility. Halfway saying, I had enough. I'm leaving the church. I'm leaving the body of Christ. I'm leaving Christ. That is not surrender. That is quitting. That is giving up. I had enough. I can't take it anymore. My friend, what you just said was you cannot take discipleship anymore. It simply means quitting or giving up what God has started a good work in you. Demas has forsaken me, Paul said, and like Judas walked away. I want you to realize none of these disciples were perfect, but the discipline and the training they went through is what made them. 
What is remarkable is it's nothing new. It comes from the Old Testament that becomes a picture, that becomes examples, that becomes for us a case and study of great men that we have been talking about. When I talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, he becomes the perfect model because he is what would be the perfect illustration in the study of brokenness. Let me remind you, he talked about something very important when you turn to John chapter 12, verse 23, 24, and verse 25. Profound words. He said, the Lord Jesus said, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Of course, we realize he received the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 4, he went out into the wilderness. There's a sense of glorification. And the words of the Father, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Or the fact after the wilderness, the angels came and ministered unto him. This is glorification. So we can talk about so many aspects of glorification. But if you go into this particular passage, let's go back to John chapter 12 and verse 23. He said, the time is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. What glorification are we talking about? That he's talking about. In verse 24, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a cord of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. If it die, it brings forth much fruit. So he is giving us a principle of what would be a corn of wheat. That if it falls to the ground, it would be fruitful. If it doesn't, it would be nothing. But if it falls to the ground, broken up, buried, it brings forth much fruit. One seed, and look at that, like in a corn. It's got shell. You can take it and put it in your showcase and say, this is a beautiful piece of a corn. You could keep it and show it to your children and show it to your grandchildren. It's one a corn literally placed in a case, put into a showcase. You can show people that's all it would amount to. You can put it on your working desk and tell your friends, this is the accord. You can color it. You can gold plate it. It's just one single accord that has never died, whose shell has never been broken. In terms of anything of fruit or impacting the world around, it is it. It is nothing. Just one little seed. Jesus is talking about himself. Let's read that once again in this passage. Verily I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground, broken, die, it abides alone. But if it is broken, it is dies, then it brings forth much fruit. Verse 25. He that loved not his life shall lose it. 
who shall love his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it. It's the heart saying of Jesus. He's not saying to hate yourself, but he's saying there is a part of us flesh, there's a part of us old nature that wants to hold on to the Adamic nature. We will die. So when we talk about surrender, it's not like God is standing with a, a gun behind us. He doesn't force. He's giving us the principle, it is a choice, and brokenness is a choice that leads to life, that leads to fruitfulness, that leads to blessing. So let's go back to what we're talking about, this seed with that utter crust of shell is like the earth that has so much within, whether it be the natural resources, whether it be the gas that can be turned, uh, things that would be turned into minerals or so many things by which the world is blessed, whether it be the finest and the costliest metals or gold or diamond, the earth has to be broken. So the seed... Unless it falls and dies, it amounts to nothing. But if it does, it brings forth fruits. Think with me for a moment. That seed you could keep in your showcase. That seed you could put in gold coward. It means nothing. All it is, this is in a corn. You painted it. You covered it with gold. But I want you to realize, if you look in the future, if you look ahead of what this means, this little corn, and if you get a picture of what it was meant to be, it had to die. And if you see what happens if it dies, it's a whole tree, huge, big tree. In this little seed, in this teeny little seed, are some of the greatest trees, plants, fruits that blesses humanity. But this gold-plated has blessed no one, not even the man who put it in the showcase. It's only showcase. And we got a lot of a painted gold showcase. Look at me, how powerful I am. Have you seen my name? The apostle, the great archbishop, the pastor of pastors, the leader of leaders. Look at me, look at my suit, look at my plate, look at my house. It's a nice little corn put up in the showcase, shows himself, but never the Lord. Blesses himself, painting himself gold, but never blesses anyone else. That is the state in which the Christian circle is facing. Once we are able to understand that falling to the ground and breaking as hard as it seems, like a cowboy trying to break the horse, like the horse whisperer, and yet hard and yet loves dogs more than anyone else, like the gardener, looks harsh and unmerciful, you cannot find someone more merciful because it wants the best for the plants in his nursery. 
And that, my friend, is the heart of our Lord. When you think about, he's talking about himself. If it will not die, all you have is a Jesus on a plastic cross, a gold cross, but would mean nothing. A Jesus that's a little statue, you can paint him, color him, put a screen around him, throw holy water on him, but he's useless. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the word that became flesh, he came to save, seek and to save the lost. He fell to the earth and he was on this earth. He died. He was buried. He was crucified, dead and buried. And the third day he arose. And when he arose, what a blessing. Millions across the world, not only in the times past, but today and tomorrow until the day Jesus comes have been blessed and fruitful. Thank God for a life that was broken for you and for me. Now I want you to understand, my friend, when you think about what happens to a seed that falls, you're looking at the shell that's hard, crusted, will start disintegrating. That is not the end. It is only the beginning. That is not the death of death. It is the only the beginning after death. To bring out a new life. And I want you to know that is what happens with the cross. We're all equal at the cross. We all went and knelt down and broke ourselves and said, forgive me, God. Forgive my sins. And God is merciful. God is gracious. There at the foot of the cross, lives have been broken to be rebuilt, remolded, to become the person that God wants that person to be. I want to ask you again, my friend, the process by which this brokenness is not to break us for the worse, but actually to make us for the best. You take this passage from the Gospel of Mark chapter 4, reading verse 26, 27, and verse 28. Jesus said, so is the kingdom of God, as a man casts seed into the ground. What? Why would you take precious seed, cast it into the ground, and he should sleep, and he should rise night and day, and go about his business? The seed was in his house. The seed was in his warehouse. The seed was in a place that was guarded. But the moment he threw it into the ground, something happened. It fell, it died. And though he went about doing his business, he didn't know what was taking place. He can't understand what was taking place. This is a process that the earth begins with the cooperation of God, the nature, and everything put together, even though the farmer slept, the farmer went about his business the next day, the process of transformation was taking place. And then he does not know how, but soon he will begin to see the evidence of that transformation. Because in verse 28 it tells us, For the earth brings forth fruit of herself, 
First the blade, the year, and the full corn in that year. It's a process. Being born again doesn't make you perfect that very day. It's a process. You're being changed. You're going from faith to faith, from glory to glory, from one step to another level to be able to be what all that God wants you to be. It's an undying process. Like repentance, brokenness is something that we go through every day in our life. It is not to break us for the worst. It is to break us, to make us be the best. Give the Lord a clap offering. So in this is the awesome study that we've been doing about people. In a marvelous way, they almost would have thought, God has abandoned me. God has left me. God gave me dreams. God gave me visions. God gave me promises. Be careful if God gave you all of that. Unless you want to short-circuit God's grace and become a spurious doctor, a spurious lawyer, a spurious engineer, or a spurious sportsman, the world will find you out, no matter how much you would paint yourself gold and put yourself shining in a glass cage. Let me just remind you, if you want to be the real person God calls you to be, don't be afraid to have that process of breakings in your life. Don't be afraid when you fall. Every one of them spiritually has fallen, or physically, or solically. And that was not the end of their life. It was only the beginning of the transformation of what would be just a man from Syria. God called him. And the process began as he took the first step. And as he began to walk with God, he wasn't perfect. But in the process, he learned to trust God. He learned to have faith with God. It was not that moment, but in his walk, he became called the father of faith. In the process of this brokenness, he became what was what God called him, a friend with God. But the man in the greatest civilization of his time, would have just been someone else. Didn't want any interference from God. Didn't want breakings. But through the brokenness of his life comes what would be the seed of the Messiah. Would come for the seed of the Messiah. I would talk about blessing. I would talk about giving. These are very five important words I will be talking about next Sunday. But I want you to realize something very important here is every one of these precious ones have gone through that discipline of brokenness. And that's how they were used. They were not perfect people. When you think about a man like David, had the anointing when he was so young. And out of nowhere, Samuel comes. He's actually the prophet to the king, Saul. But God directed him, and he looked at it in a natural way until God said, I look at the heart, not the way man looks at. And in the process of time, he was able, to, in the process of eliminating all the others, 
he realized there must be somebody missing. Oh yeah, David was in the farm. He was taking care of the sheep, brought and the anointing of God. I want you to know, my friend, this little kid would have been wonderful had he not been anointed. But God wanted his hand upon him. God wanted him a higher place. God wanted him to make a difference in the kingdom. I want you to know that moment that took place, there was a breakthrough, chapter 17. By the time you come to chapter 18, it's like all hell had broken loose. He's running for his life, and the breakings are the things that produced him to be the sweet psalmist of Israel towards the end of his life. In 1 Samuel 20, 23, verse 1, we find the words that he says, looking back with thanksgiving, what a marvelous he looks back and the marvelous things of God's grace upon him. It is in the most difficult moment of his life, the gift that was hidden, he was able to put lyrics, music to his song, and he produced psalms. Uh, half of all the psalmists are written by David, not in a five-star luxurious hotel. It was in the deepest wilderness and the hardships of his life. And in the loneliness of those moments came what would be like the nightingales of night producing the greatest songs in the night. The worship, the praise, the love for God, all this becomes out of that breakings of his life. In fact, he writes about this in Psalm chapter 34, he talks about, bless the Lord, O my soul. I will bless the Lord at all times and all of that. But when you turn to verse 18, he gives you a powerful principle. The Lord is very close, is nigh unto them. Who? That are of a broken heart. The Lord is very close to those that are of a broken heart and save it such as of a contrite spirit. This David sinned. I mean, I talked about Saul. He would have been the best choice for anybody. And yet Saul was rejected because he resisted the rock. He resisted brokenness. He was a proud man. And yet in sincerity, he's the finest of the finest, the way that you would look at the best come of college, the best head and shoulder about all people, the finest of the men, the great soldier, but God looks into the heart. He said, no, God. I don't want that. I want to be me. I want to be I. I want to be me, the number one. And I get angry if somebody else is number one. What you find is God rejects him. And this David was not perfect. God took him up, lifted him up, from a young lad taking care of his father's sheep to take care of the heavenly father's sheep. He was called not simply the sweet psalmist, but the gentle shepherd of Israel. He sinned. I mean, not anyone would go anywhere near what he did. That's the end of his life. He's discarded. He's disgraced. He's given up. But God says something in 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 13. 
I've forgiven your sins, even though the sword will never leave your house. There's a consequences, but God forgave him. And what happens is, um, I think it was in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13, God forgives this man. What a remarkable way. There's something that happened in his life. He, Nathan said, I have sinned against, he said, and Nathan said, the Lord also had put away your sin. You will not die. Excuse me. I'm broken. I've sinned. You can read that in Psalm 51 and verse 17. Look at this. Look at the heart that is broken. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. I talked about this at the 8 o'clock service. God has no weakness. God has no foolishness. The vices of our vices is still considered the foolishness of God. That's no foolishness of God. I mean, there's nothing about God. He's omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he is all-powerful. He's everywhere, omnipresent. And yet, if there be a weakness in this, if there be, there's no weakness, he's almighty God. He's a holy God. He's a righteous God. He's a God of equity and justice. And yet when a man humbles himself, broken heart, God is gracious to forgive, merciful, compassionate. If you were to look at the, the very embodiment of the guarded in a physical body, it is Jesus. A man of compassion and mercy. Yes, there is the law. I will not stone you. I forgive you. Go, but sin no more. The compassion of Jesus oozing out, even at the cross. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. I want to realize about this Savior, what a wonderful Savior. Reaches out to David, forgives him. That is God. That is our God, our Father in heaven, Yahweh. I want to realize what is so important is, yes, he's a man after my own heart. In 1 Samuel, you find it in 13.22. But going back in the book of Acts, you find the same thing repeated. Long after David is dead and gone, a man after my own heart. Brokenness is a very important part of a Christian's life. Let me just remind you about Jacob. A con artist, I mean, he's a man that would have cheated you. I mean, while you are buying Eiffel Tower, he's running all the way to bank, giving you a little piece of Eiffel Tower in drawing. You purchased, you think, the whole thing. He was a con artist. He was basically a man that was a swindler. How could a man, a grandson of Abraham be? He chose to become that. A life of cheating, a life of con artist. Let me remind you the grace of God. All of these men were just ordinary people of clay. But what was so remarkable is God did not give up. God reached out to him, and it was at Jabbok that the Lord reached and wrestled with him. And I talked about in verse 25 of chapter 32 of the book of Genesis, 
touch the hollow of his thigh. Now he's dependent. I talked about how towards the end of his life, he was leaning in blessing the grandchildren, leaning on God, not on himself. He could have given a false blessing, and many people would not know what is a true blessing and a false blessing. But here's a man leaning on his staff, leaning on the Lord, because God changed his name. A man who prevails with God. How could you prevail with God? Because he lost to God in wrestling and yet became a winner. God brings this brokenness that you are not loser, you're actually a winner. What a tremendous principle we have here. When you think about Paul, a big name, great man, he sat under the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest theologians of his time. That in itself is a degree, having come from a prestigious school, being taught by the greatest masters. A man, they say, was part of the Sanhedrin, a man who had powers, a man who was who's known and who know almost everybody around, a man that basically thought he was doing God a favor by persecuting the Christians. A man religious that he talks about a Benjaminite, the finest of the finest, as touching the law, blameless, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, and yet all of these qualifications is it. It's not about race. It is about God. And how did that come about? Through a sense of brokenness. It was not a one-day moment. It was every day of his life. But how did he come to the Lord? He was sitting up on a high horse. And there's a lot of people sitting on a high horse. Religious Pharisees. They only come to know the real God when they fall off their high horse. The man was blinded. And like the church in Laodicea, he who thought he was rich and religious, a man who thought he had it all, realized he was blind and poor and in need. An oil meant to wash his blind eyes. And God sent Ananias, and he said he's a chosen man. He will go through the process of breakings, of brokenness. I talked the last time about how he had seen healings. The very shadow brought healings. And three times he cried out to the Lord for a thorn. Whatever that is, was a pain for him. But because of the many revelations, God didn't want to lose him with pride. And this is so important. In 2, Samuel, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, my grace is sufficient. I want you to understand, more than anything else, he valued the grace of God. Every day, whatever the thorn was, thorn in the flesh was, it was a pain. But he woke up the morning and said, God, it reminds me, I need to depend upon you. Not me, not my ingenuity, not all that I am, all that you are. He gives us the secret of being one of the greatest of all the apostles. And when he talks about it in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, it's not I, I broke down. It is Christ in me. And yet, Christ, and yet me, 
but Christ in me working it out. What a transformed life. A life that comes out of brokenness. I talked about a woman we don't know. Some say she's Mary, but she's from Bethany, no doubt. We don't know her murky past. But when you turn to chapter 14 of the book of Mark and verse 3, here in this Pharisee's house, she doesn't care what people think about her. She doesn't care what religious circles talk about her. She took everything she owned and brought this priceless ointment, perfume, in an alabaster box. Just putting at the feet of Jesus alone would suffice. Look at the costly gift. No, she broke it. And only when it is broken was the fragrance you could smell. And she wiped the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ, kneeling at the feet of the Master. Brokenness. A woman was made. Made into the likeness of all that God put in her. A workmanship. God's greatest masterpiece. You see, my friend, if we could learn anything, we could learn something from John the Baptist. This is a man that was a forerunner. He was a very important person. He's the only prophet of the Old Testament finding his way in the New Testament. His was a prophet of the Old Testament. The New Testament prophets are very different. People try to be pastors. They tend to be the king of Israel. No, my friend, you got it all messed up. The prophets of the Old Testament are not the prophets of the New Testament. But there is one prophet of the Old Testament, and that is John and John alone. His was to be the forerunner. What a glorious, majestic office. Everyone else would have desired with all their heart to see Jesus. John the Baptist could look at him and say, Behold, the Lamb of God. Paul, John had the opportunity and the prestige. What a great opportunity to see Jesus follow the Lord in the waters of baptism. He said, I'm not worthy to even touch your sandal or to remove the, the lace of your sandal. And you call me this honor? I want you to realize here's a man who could have called himself Everything he wanted, the latter-day prophet, the last-day prophet, the greatest prophet. But I want you to understand the principle that we're missing today. John chapter 3, verse 30. He simply uses a phrase that we need so desperately. He must increase, but I must decrease. At the end of the day, the process by which he increases and we decrease is unless a, seed, a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it stays alone. But if it falls and dies, it brings forth much fruit. That is a very powerful principle. Next Sunday, I want to talk, God willing, about something very important. We'll be having communion. Five words 
in five different sources from the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and two of them alluding, one from Paul telling about what Jesus said. And directly from the lips of Jesus, five important words that are going to bless us. But I want you to realize it begins with number one and very important, take. He chooses. Number two, he blesses. We love that. But that's only the beginning of the process. Number three, what he chose and what he blesses, he asks our permission. Do you want to be blessed? Or do you want to be blessed to be a blessing? The choice is yours. You could say, me, mine, I want my own helicopter. I want my own travel means of the finest. Or I could be Lord at your service anywhere, anytime, anyhow. Would you want to be blessed or blessed to be a blessing? I want to be blessed, blessed to be a blessing. And he breaks it. That is hard to fathom. Hard to realize, why would he choose you? Then why would he bless you? But there is no period. But then, with your permission, he will break you, not crush you, to powder. You are of eternal value, of great consequences to the world that would be blessed by you. And then he gives you what one would have blessed only himself, now he gives to be distributed, to be multiplied to the masses around. That, my friend, is from blessing to brokenness is a very difficult line. But if you are broken, you are able to be distributed, multiplied, and blessed the masses of civilization. It's not about one seed. It is bringing fruits to so many. Long after you are dead and gone, your DNA of blessing stays behind. Not a name, but something that would lay behind that your labors and the fruits and the gifts and the rewards will be in heaven before you reach heaven. It's not so much of earthly, it is, but far greater of heavenly. God will choose you. God will bless you. But don't stop there. Let God break you so he could distribute you and multitudes would be blessed. Can you say, yes, Lord? Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.